Hello and welcome back to the Sander Lanch Podcast. We are talking about Mistborn, The Well of Ascension, chapters 20, 21, and 22. I am Joe, and with me as always is... Jamie. Data. And Dak. That's right. We're talking about these chapters wherein we get to discuss a little bit about the plan. Ellen finally stands up for himself. Tindwell questions him about whether or not Vin's the right companion for him. We get to see Set's daughter and Breeze's love affair unfold. And we also get to see Vin test Ham, and she and Orser seem to grow a little bit closer. So that is what we'll be talking about today. Hold on to something, everyone. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. Elders, tellers, keepers of the bottom, treasures of the dirt. Russian string, we scribble and sing and dig for the annals of the earth. And we try, try, try to keep a little beauty in the world. Yep, that's right. We got some uh, a lot of some interesting personal stuff happening. I'm curious uh, what you guys think specifically about Breeze and the new girl, and what you think, how much of anything you think was actually going on there. Joe seems to think there's a full blown love affair happening. But anyway, what did you guys think of these three chapters overall? Yeah, again, pretty good chapters. I really enjoyed Orso and Vin's bonding in the third chapter. I thought it was nice to actually see them. You know, mm. somewhat making good out of their relationship. And yeah, Breeze's relationship out of nowhere was a little bit hilarious, but also quite a predicament, I think, that they're going to find themselves in there. I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't see that coming like that. But yeah, some good, I guess, good character development and, you know, Vin's sort of insecurities coming back in. I'm a little bit like, ah, oh, don't be that girl. Please don't be that girl. But which girl? Know. Hold on. Oh, just the whole, you know, he's changing. What about me? Like, Mm. uh, just like, oh, I sort of hope that that doesn't follow her for a really long time. Yeah, she can hang on to things. I don't know. I just, I don't particularly like that, but I still love Vin as a character. I think she's, she's pretty incredible, but I just, I hope her and Ellen can just get through it. (laughs) He's so in love Mm. with her. She just needs to stop questioning it. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, I, I don't want her to become like that relationship's undoing because she's questioning everything, which is a thing that lots of girls do. But yeah, I really hope that that sort of doesn't hang around for a really long time. But otherwise, yeah, good chapters. Enjoy sort of seeing what everyone was up to. Not not really any action to speak of, but I don't think it'll be long before we get back into that side of things too. So Vince, Vince thoughts read kind of true to you. I've never been a teenage girl, so I don't know for sure that any of it actually yeah. sounds realistic. But. I mean, like, as a former teenage girl, yeah, like, some of it, it does, but it's also, and, like, you got to remember she's really young, but, yeah, I just, I, yeah, she's... Really young and really traumatized. Yeah, yeah. but she's, yeah. she's she's becoming this really confident and skilled person and a really strong character, and I'm just like, oh, please don't go down all this self-doubt path, and, and like, don't sabotage it. It could go really wrong really quickly 
if she mm. does and I just don't don't sabotage your own relationship that's not fair <laughs> don't don't do it don't do it and like super easy to say that from an outsider's perspective obviously when you're in that relationship it would be really different and difficult and I mean look I've never dated the king either so you know <laughs> yes it's, sorry it's, listeners uh, I am not a king Boiled it. It turns out uh, we're royal and we're sitting in our own palace right now recording our podcast. Um. No, no, I'm, at best I'm the guy who mops the throne room floor. It's <laughs> a bit harsh on yourself, but okay. Yeah, I was about to say, at best? Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. I, I, I hope she doesn't stick in that sort of mind frame for too long. I hope she comes out of it, really, is I guess what I'm trying to say. No, fair enough. Yeah, these chapters... Pretty pretty cool, interesting stuff. It kind of makes me a little more uneasy about where they're headed. So, you know, I, I, I see where Jamie's coming from. And, you, and if you think about it from Vin's perspective, it's like this guy that she's in love with is changing. And she has felt that her place is to be by his side to protect him. But he's becoming something that doesn't need her protection specifically, which is not necessarily true. It's just the way that she sees it. I, I, you know, I wonder if that's kind of, it feels like that's where her head is, right? She's like, well, if he doesn't need me to protect him anymore, who's to say he'll need me at all? In which case, maybe, like, he's going to move on from me, which is obviously not the way that she should be thinking. And based on what the reader knows, Tindwill asks him about her and basically gets him, persuades him to basically confess that he loves her and that he wants to be with her, but she's just not ready to be married. So the reader knows that that's not true. My guess is based on what we've seen so far is that they're, that the author is going to basically have a love triangle between Vin, Zane and Ellen. That's my guess based on we what we an early predicament. Oh yeah. I guess it is an early predicament. Yeah. It seems like there's going to be some kind of love triangle going on between them. She's going to have to, maybe she's going to have to choose because Zane, like, like in the chapters, especially this, this go round, you hear it reflected in her head, like his words. It's like, you don't belong with them. They don't understand you. It's like, we understand each other. Basically he's trying to say like, we should be together because you know, they don't understand you. Right. It's like the, it's like the neg, the neg, uh, hit on move right it's like nobody understands you but i understand you so you've got that going on the most interesting thing to me about these chapters are is the conversation that she has with the chondra because if if my other theory is right then this is kind of a weird conversation for them to be having um is he trying to ingratiate himself to her is he is he actually feeling these feelings and they're actually having a moment together for real even if it's not actually orser so I'd just be interested to know now if my theory is correct, because I don't necessarily think that that conversation makes it incorrect. I think it would just make it even more layered and interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I was going to I was actually going to ask you about that because it's it, it kind of puts a different because we talked about last time, like from his perspective, maybe he would think they were suspecting him. But now from his perspective, if he's being true, then their their relationship is very different. From, right. Yeah. Which I mean. Knowing that he was under, if if he straffs Condra especially, like he may, though all of those things where he was basically without saying it, saying yes, people have beaten me and treated me terribly, like that definitely could have still happened even if he's not Orser, you know, and he could definitely yeah, still sure. be talking about himself. But I mean, yeah, you, you you don't doubt that Straff would beat on somebody if uh, he got in the mood, and 
also the 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 idea of the love triangle is interesting i do have to say just uh, my two cents ladies and gentlemen in the audience uh, if if you ever have to make such a choice uh, between a king and a crazy guy who hear, hears voices in his head, my recommendation would be the king. But that that's just me. Well, does she? She just knows that he thinks he's insane. She she doesn't know he hears voices yet, does she? That's true. That's a good point. Not that I'm condoning it in any way. So a little bit crazy is okay. <laughs> But not too crazy, like not voices crazy. Yeah, no, no. no. If, like, if if they go around announcing they're insane, they either are or they're trying to in some way impress you. Either way, don't go for it. Impress. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because every every girl loves to hear from a possible beau, "I'm insane." You could just see like his Tinder profile or something, and it'd be like, "Yep, completely crazy." Like, just like you want to like, get on it. How many people have you met that just do weird shit to try and impress other people and, like, they don't realize this? Like, you actually don't have any social skills. People don't want to hear that. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I just the other day read a story about the guy, the teenage guy in Australia who jumped into a, like, lake to wrestle an alligator to get a tourist's phone number because he was trying to impress her. See? <laughs> that is not a thing you should do. No, don't do that. No. Definitely it didn't not. work out well for him, except that she agreed to see a movie with him after. <laughs> okay. So it, it fucking worked? Uh, it, uh, it worked in that. I think he was also, like, horribly yeah. injured. Like, it said the gator, or the it, the crocodile, or I don't remember what it was. It bit him. Uh, it was and it was trying to be a croc. Okay. He was, it was, like, it held onto him and dragged him for a while, and then was about to go into, like, its death roll when he poked it in the eye and made it let go, and he got away. So he was pretty injured. <laughs> It's not worth it. Yeah, it's no. like your choice of wingman was not a good one. <laughs> hey, Croc, you want to help me out? He's like, no, I want to kill you, though. I, now you guys talked about Tinder profiles. I just really want Zane's to be like, I'm crazy for dot, dot, dot. And then it says, like, conjure wolfhounds. <laughs> Voice of God. He just sounds yeah. really religious. And then you yeah. you realize. <laughs> I, sorry, I had to look up that story. He, he was an 18-year-old from Queensland. Yeah, that sounds about yeah. right. That <laughs> it sounds right. <laughs> Probably north. Wow. <laughs> yep. Wow. You guys are laying on some thick uh, shade. <laughs> yeah. You may want to cut that out. <laughs> we, just, we need we to just boost our Australian base. The pointy end of the country. Okay. Sorry, Dak. Go ahead. What did you think of the chapters? <laughs> yeah. It's like when I talk about people who live in the panhandle. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. They're horrible human beings, but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> so I think the conversation between Vin and Orisur has been my favorite part of this book so far. Yeah, I just like what they were saying to each other and how they were just laying it all out. I just I just really enjoyed hearing about that. I really hope that it is really Orisur and it, and the moment was genuine because I thought, holy shit, these two are just like fucked up, and now they're fucked up together. And I think oh, that might actually be good for the both of them. I no longer think Orisur is gonna betray them. I think it might be a tipping point. This might have been a, a tipping point for him. And it's like, all right, this girl's all right. So, that yeah, that was the highlight of these chapters for me. I liked all the other stuff. The Elland and Tinwell stuff. And it's like, look, it's good. But it's like, uh, all right, it's the usual, you know, teach teach someone to be a king. Or teach someone, you know, to be a member of high society. Like, mm. Okay. Yep. Cool. Oh, and, you know, I get that it's necessary. It's just like, ah, uh, all right. I want to get back to the action. And then seeing Breeze... And is it Ori Orion? Uh, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's her. Her name's weird. I think I, in my head I say it all re all in, but I don't know. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, like that. That was that was fairly amusing. I can't wait to see how that shit um, just throws a rock at that hornet's nest. <laughs> my immediate thought was just like, now if this was a song of ice and fire, everyone in this room would be going, "Sweet, we just got ourselves a hostage." But no one was saying it here. I'm just like, God damn it, you guys are too nice to be in politics. <laughs> Some. Well, and I don't even remember who it was, but someone says it, and they're, and they're like, Vin's like, what, really? And he's like, someone had to say it. I think I missed that. I'm almost sure that conversation happened. Could have been in my mind, I guess. It definitely did happen. No, it, it's a okay. very, yeah, it's a very quick, like, one sentence, and Vin reacts, and then it's over. I think the, that Vin is also the one who's horribly offended by this. She's like, I'd much rather, like, go and kill this guy than something like that. Let's get into these, I guess. Um, the first epigraph is... Uh, it's, I, it may be the longest one that we've had, actually, and it's not really all that informative. He's like, after a few years, he started to notice the signs, and he says, I am a terrorist world bringer, after all. And I think we've heard the term world bringer maybe once before in here. Yeah, we've definitely called that before. And he's just like, but we're not all religious. Some, such as myself, are more interested in other topics. You notice he doesn't say anything about he wants to know if trees can talk. He's like, I'm not going to I'm Stop not going to sound stupid the question, here. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, he says that he couldn't help but become more interested in the Anticipation, capital A, as Alendi seemed to fit the signs so well. Ooh. The question I've gotten from these epigraphs is he's basically just found this dude in the street and started hanging and started hanging around with him. He gave him a job. And then it's like, you know what? You could be God. Hmm. <laughs> you could be the prophesied one. You might be Harry Potter. <laughs> and, and the guy's just like, dude, I'm just I'm just here to make some money. <laughs> yeah well no apparently think, when uh, he finds out he like per- perpetuates the myth himself to like that's what we found out earlier well eventually yeah that's a fair point do you think even at like 30 they're still calling harry the boy who lived he's like hey i'm a man now <laughs> I, I felt like probably by the end of the book where he manages to kill voldemort and stuff that he went from being the boy who lived to like being harry potter the guy who off voldemort so the man who killed yeah, something the like that. The Dark Lord. Yeah. Well, he was the boy who lived, then the Chosen One, and then, I guess, the hero. I guess it depends what people I mean, remember him for. Because, I mean, people still think of Macaulay Culkin as the Home Alone kid, even though he's 40. Yeah. In a much bigger sense, aren't we all the boys who lived, if you're a boy? <laughs> well, I was about to say, Jamie's not a boy who lived. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, who's, 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 who's that listener refers to as other girl? Yeah, other girl. Yeah. yeah, that's all right. Just ignore other girl over here. It's fine. Yeah, oh, yeah. Thanks, email guy. Primary girl, that other girl. I remember that guy. You guys are talking about Jackson, right? Yeah, yeah, Jackson. Something like that. Good Don't old good old Jefferson. <laughs> Whatever. So the, the chapter starts with everyone sitting around trying to convince Ellen that maybe this isn't uh, such a good idea after all, which I thought we'd settled this. I guess they're talking about specifically him going into El- uh, Straff's camp at this point. But I, we decided Ellen was going to go and start playing everybody. I feel like to argue the details of it now is kind of pointless, but maybe that's just me. He thinks that he can play his dad. Nobody else is confident in that. <laughs> but then again, he knows his dad better than any of them. So really, he's probably the best source for how that might go. Plus, yeah, you know, he, he he's right. He has spent a lifetime being rather underestimated by his father. So his father mm-hmm. is still continuing to do that. We know that. Dad's already shown his hand in that sense. It's probably easy for Straff to believe, too, that he would come crawling back to him for help. Like, that's what Straff wants to happen. So to have Ellen do that 
he's going to be like, ah, oh, he's playing into my cunning plan. He did exactly what I knew he'd do because he's not, he doesn't actually give Ellen enough credit to one, run anything successfully and two, actually think for himself. So, you know, that's, Straff is going to just really be like, yes, this is, this is working. That's what he wants to believe. Yep. So. God, as soon as you said that thing about the cunning plan, all I heard in my head was, um, it was like, his real name is Straff Brannigan. <laughs> ah, my failure, oh, my no. failure son is coming back to give me the city. Send wave after wave of my own men at them. Right, man? Zane is kiff. You suck. You oh, suck. No. <laughs> oh, Zane is kiff. The key no, to I want to see that. The element art. of surprise. Surprise. <laughs> surprise. <laughs> I have to see if this fan art exists. Excuse me for one moment. <laughs> yes. I've created another monster. Born Zane as Kiff. No. Yeah. Oh, that could be your Instagram post. <laughs> if, if it exists, yeah. absolutely. It, it doesn't seem to exist. Although, when I when you search for Zane and Mistborn, there's an awful lot of Zane and who I assume is Ellen in, like, weird, semi-romantic-looking poses. Ugh. Uh, I, Some nasty popular... slash fiction. <laughs> yeah. It's incest. It, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, that's anyway, what it is. <laughs> I'm just assuming yeah, that the I other just... guy—that's who the other guy is, from what I'm seeing. But uh, okay, Straff yeah, meets I'm, Vin for the first time, and he's like, "Vin, this is real velour." <laughs> you ever real velour? <laughs> Do you want some more of the champagne? Straff is now forever going to be Zap Brand like again. Fry Ellen. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Oh. <laughs> That totally fits him from the last book, especially, and it's sad that it does. No good, it's full of steam! <laughs> okay. okay. But Ellen, in, in a very unfry-like moment, is like, I'm afraid this isn't a discussion. I've made my decision, and shuts down the conversation because it's no longer being productive. That's a fry moment. That's when he says, I'll be whatever I want to do. I'll be whatever I want. Okay, sure. Sure. Yep. I'll man. buy that. And Vin doesn't think that the crew is going to take that, and yet they do. Which, Ellen's instantly like, oh wow, Tindwell's right. If I act like this, then they will respect me. Although it doesn't stop him so from like... I tell people to shut the hell up, <laughs> I shut the hell up. Yeah, when you're the king, sometimes that works. Apparently. Yeah. It doesn't stop Ellen <laughs> from continuing to argue like a page later, where he's like, now see, you're being unfair, and going back into the same kind of speech patterns that she's tried to train out of him at this point. So and then like, he immediately turns like around. Vin catches him. He's like, he's he's doing the fist clenching thing, and yep. then later on, Tinwell says, "Will you stop doing that? <laughs> you gotta stop it. You gotta but, stop that dude." It's like they're on the same page here. And then he realizes the way to uh, get everybody even more on board with the plan is to be like, "Hey, I will take some protection. I uh, I'll introduce my dad to my girlfriend." And everyone's like, "Oh, oh, oh, okay now." Having Vin along makes this much safer. Which, to be fair, yeah. I agree. I, I don't know why you wouldn't have planned to take her in the first place. I think they just assumed that he would not let anyone other than Ellen do. Mm. You know, he fears for his life. <laughs> Heart full of neutralness. Um, okay, neutrality. <laughs> uh, so, and, and Vin, yeah, towards the end of the scene is where Vin starts to think the, the thoughts that we were talking about, where she's like... He deserves, doesn't he deserve a woman that he can feel like he can protect? And why am I thinking about our relationship so much lately? I never used to do that. And then here's Zane's kind of voice saying you don't belong with them and so on. He's 
insidiously put these thoughts in her head. And then Ellen brushes off the assembly to be like, hey, I don't have time for counterfeit coins. You know, I, I, I made an assembly so they could handle this kind of stuff. Seriously. But what do they need me to for every little thing? Which just immediately set alarm bells off in my head. It's like, oh, God, that's got to be important. Like somehow this is going to wind up being like a crucial part of the story. What is about these coins that is going to fuck everything up for the world? Oh, about the coins. I thought you I thought you meant like brushing off the assembly and not paying attention to them was going to be but the coins. Interesting somebody well i mean like yeah the assembly are going to take it badly and that's going to cause problems as well but i'm just like now yeah, was the coins just like the excuse for them to do that or is it actually going to be the coins themselves that are a problem are the coins the missing adium <gasps> somebody's making counterfeit coins out of adium that's that's that seems like an extremely expensive production yeah so that's a seriously bad idea they're worth way more than the coins that they're counterfeiting <laughs> yeah no one's going to be looking for the coins and this is their way of just disseminating them so like they're everywhere like, someone's Please. deliberately trying to cause anarchy. So you're saying if I want to counterfeit really money, plan. I can use gold, and then... No, wait. <laughs> People will gladly take your well, counterfeit unless money. Because you unless you were misborn, like, you wouldn't have a use for it. You wouldn't know if it's a coin. Mm. You wouldn't necessarily know yeah. that it's That's made point. of something else. It actually would be a really clever way to hide it. Brandon Sanderson, he doesn't drop things like that and have them go nowhere. Like, I agree with you, Doug. Yeah, I think that's... it's going to come back. Yeah. Interesting. You, you, one book What's and you guys are already like, like, I know how he does this stuff. Okay. <laughs> well, it's like, what's that trope where people bite the coin to make sure it's real? Like, like someone's going to hand a Mistborn, like, one of these Atium coins. They bite it just to make sure it's, like, the real silver or whatever the metal's meant to be. And then all of a sudden they just go, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, counterfeit coins. We're, we're going to put that up on the board. We're going to pin it up there on, on Dak's list of, like, are these things going to come back? Because he had those characters in the last book that he wanted to see if any of them showed back up again. We'll put coins on the list. All righty. <laughs> in, the, in the annotations, it's kind of just it, more of what we, we've been saying. Where it's like we get to see her that Zane already has his fingers on Vin's emotions. She's beginning to question and doubt. This, however, isn't a quick change. You should realize that all these questions were already there inside of her. Not only is she a teenage girl and living during an emotionally volatile part of her life, but she grew up learning to distrust and fear betrayal. Though she's getting better, old worries are still there, and even a little bit of scratching at them reveals them again. She never had to confront these things. Falling in with the crew and learning to trust was actually easy in the last book because Kelsey was there to make sure everything worked out right, and Vin was always underneath the watchful care of Sazed. Now she's having to face these things directly. Plus, you know, there's the added push you get out of Zane is a Mistborn. He can do the emotional allomancy, and Vin might not notice. Yeah, she didn't have her copper on. Yeah, she's not. She's not. She's not expecting it from Zane. Like she's ex expecting like the the dancing and the fighting and all the iron and steel. Like she's not mm -hmm. expecting. Oh, by the way, I'm gonna breeze you for a minute. I'm gonna breeze you. That's the new verb. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help it. I've gotten attached with that asshole. <laughs> He's part, not really an asshole. Well, oh, no, yeah, we, he's not. We, we find out more about that in uh, in these chapters too, don't we? Mm -hmm. But the, the part that worries me in this chapter is the next part where uh, he, he he pawns off the assemblies. Like I'll talk to them later, and then they're like, "But what about this meeting that you're having? Wouldn't that like mean that you give up your power over the assembly to not give up the city?" And he's like, "Oh no, this isn't an official parlay. This is an informal meeting. So my my previous thing will stand." And I was like. I feel like that's stretching it, and maybe they will take issue with this. Yeah, but, but that's me. Also dangerous. 
at the end, towards the end of the meeting, Vin turns her attention to once again trying to figure out who the uh, the spy is. I almost said traitor, but that's not really. I've, I've been watching like Among Us and uh, it's a whole thing. So she starts trying to read allomancy around people, and she does catch the breeze is allomancing. He's breezing as uh, as Dax said. Yep. And she's never gotten quite down what Marsh said about how you know you can. You might even be able to sense when people are what emotion they're trying to soothe or even when they're running low on their metals. Maybe she hasn't practiced quite enough on that. But she tries out Duralumin with her. Uh, what, is, what is it? Is it? Oh, it's bronze because she's sensing him. Uh, for, I was trying to remember what Breeze burns, but that's not relevant. So. Yeah, it's it's, it's like the, the lessons from Mosh. Well, she didn't get many of those <laughs> unless we missed some in the year. Yeah, but it's like there's like one metal he can teach her on. Right. And she, it works. She picks up that uh, Breeze is soothing anxiety, nervousness, insecurity, worry from uh, from Elland as they're having this conversation. Even as he's making sarcastic comments and arguing with Elland, he's helping Elland be more confident. I did really love that moment. I'm just like, oh, wow. Bluster and bullshit. He's <laughs> is he even realizing he's doing this. He's actually just like, I want you to win, so I'm going to make you feel good about yourself. Oh, and this is—I mean, yes, the, it's 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 making Ellen feel good about himself, but also it's in everybody's best interest that Ellen is confident. So, well, yes, it's like but, you know what? I'm just going to do this <laughs> and make sure that happens. But I think it gives Vin a bit of reassurance too that she's like, okay, Ellen is changing, but also Breeze is helping him. It's not a case of he doesn't need me. It's mm-hmm. there's there's yeah, a little bit of a push in that direction as well. And I like how she she goes so far as to even think it's like Breeze never made sense in the crew to me because he was like more selfish and manipulative than these other guys. But now I kind of get it. He's not like what he's trying to show everyone. He's trying to hide how good a guy he is. So that's kind of fun. Boost of gold of the team. (laughs) (laughs) But also like you think like Vin, he can't he can't affect Vin's emotions. But there are other people, even though there are allomancers on the crew, that he can affect and influence as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how much of that was he already doing in the right. crew, even the, in the last book? So I thought that was a really interesting perspective. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, he talked about, even in the last book, how he he's or, or we saw examples of him just nudging people slightly all the time. He's doing it almost constantly. So maybe he spent that entire time just making the entire crew feel better about what they were doing Mm. what a guy see he's (laughs) still a jerk on the outside but right i mean i think this gives us insight to kind of what we already knew and and vin calls it out here it's like she she'd always thought breeze was kind of a strange choice for the crew but now she can see why he was chosen it's like at at heart even though he's got this kind of weird pompous exterior at heart he's he's obviously a really good dude and he um, he's constantly trying to help his friends, even without them knowing it. Yep. So Kelsier knew what he was doing, is what we learned here, when he recruited this dude. Yeah. And uh, everyone leaves after the meeting, and Tindwell's like, you are an embarrassment, when he asks how he did in that meeting. And Elle's just like, so you like to say. And it starts cleaning up. She's like, stop that. You're a king. Kings don't clean. Then they have an argument about, like, the nature of ruling people where he's like a king should lead by consent of the citizens and she's like no you you have to be the person who makes decisions and 
you'd look for advice, but you you're in charge. And they both, I think, have points. And he tells her, oh, okay, so I have to make every. She wants him to make Cam call him Your Majesty, which he's like, I think that's not going to go over real well. He's not good, big on authority. And uh, she's like, everyone should call you that. And he's like, well, what about you? She's like, well, I'm different. And he's like, I don't see why you should be. You call me Your Majesty now. And she goes for it. He's like, yeah. And she's like, that was her goal all along to, pull, to like, just say, all right, fine. Making him more confident. Everyone's helping. With mind games. Yeah. It, there's a real interesting discussion about guilt here, where it's like everything is your fault, but you don't have room to feel guilty about it or like sulk or anything. And it makes perfect sense what she describes. I just I don't think I'd ever thought about it that way. It's, it's very like the buck stops here. And while I did yes. gr- agree with her to a certain extent, it's it's also, at least to me, it seemed in a very a very apologetic view of being a monarch. It's like. You you have to be confident and act like you know what you're doing even when you don't, because if not, everything's going to plunge into chaos. So you can't feel guilt. You don't have time for it. Like, I get that. They want some you don't want your leader, the leader of your entire nation or kingdom, what have you, to second guess himself or sulk or feel guilty because they just they really don't have time for it. But it also I mean, and and. I guess there are real live monarchs like this. Um, if you if you watch the dramatization of uh, of Queen Elizabeth in the Crown, they de- she deals with this a lot as well. It's like you can't show emotion, you can't you don't have time to feel sorry for yourself. It's like you are the crown. You are basically an image that can't be that can't be soiled by humanity. So I feel like she's asking a lot, and I think she knows she's asking a lot. I don't know if Ellen has fully grasped yet what being the king means, because he's going to have to do a lot of things that separate himself from the rest of humanity. And he seems to be like an like a, a philosopher, like a person who loves humanity. So that's that's probably a difficult ask for this guy. Yeah, I mean, that makes some sense. I haven't seen the the show. But uh... yeah, it's pretty interesting. It deals a lot with especially in the first seasons when she becomes queen. It deals a lot with what it means to be the queen and what it means to be a woman or a wife or a mother. So it's pretty interesting. This what struck me in this conversation is where she starts talking about the trait you need to have is arrogance. I'm like, mm. when is that ever a trait anyone <laughs> should have? And then she, and then she lays it out and it's like, uh, okay, I, I hate to admit it, but I kind of see your point there. The leaders have to believe that they are better than the other option, otherwise they would stand down immediately. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really counterintuitive. I agree. When she's like, you have to you have to have this arrogance, believing that you're going to do a better job than anyone else here, because if you weren't going to do the best job, then you shouldn't be here. And yeah. I, I guess it's just the connotations of the word arrogance is always a negatively applied word. But mm-hmm. like you, like if she'd said self belief, no one would question it. And I'm hoping that this conversation, and it, it even kind of comes up during the conversation, but he's, from the beginning of this book, had this undercurrent of, like, everyone wishes Kelsier was here, that he was the guy who was doing this job and thinks that he would do a better job than me, basically. But this conversation is like, you can't think that. You're not allowed at this point to be like, oh, if only Kelsier was here instead, he's the one everybody wants and he would do a better job. You have to think that you are the person who needs to be here and can do this job. And that attitude alone, if he can land it, I think is going to really help him. And then we switch to, tell me, why haven't you married the young girl? He says, that's a personal question. And she says, good. 
which yeah okay and they have a, a, a funny little exchange about women and how uh, he's like, Vin isn't like other women. And she's like, yeah, that's all of them. You, you, you don't know that many women, apparently. <laughs> and she says that, you know, if you want to look good in front of these people, you have to look better. You can't be seen having a mistress or whatever. You need to look like you're taking this stuff seriously. And it comes down to because he doesn't know why she won't marry him. She's like, well, maybe you need somebody else. And he's like, no, you shut your mouth. You do not get to say bad things about Vin. And she's like, okay, then. She had to make sure that uh, his feelings were really strong enough that uh, because she then gives a speech about how love is not easy for kings. And uh, it might be easier in the long run if he didn't love the girl like he does. But she doesn't feel that's any reason to give up, which he thinks is strange from her. She says he, he thinks perhaps she's a little deeper than I've assumed. I don't know. What do you guys think about Tindwell here and her opinions on love? I almost thought Brandon is Brandon's kind of an extending the readers and olive branch here to Tindwell because she's such a hard person. And some readers may be like Vin where they're like, well, I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about Ellen becoming this person, especially the kind of person that she's suggesting that he has to become cold commanding, and, and all the rest of that. So I think this is almost the opportunity for the reader to kind of like like Tindwell and be like, well, she obviously, you know, she's saying all these things. She's doing all these things. But she also thinks that there are exceptions when it comes to uh, loving another person. So I feel like it's that's this is kind of our moment to maybe uh, see Tindwell as a force for for good instead of kind of this weird neutral force mm, that's a fair point maybe it's just to like make the re readers realize she's not so bad the annotations here he has a very small one about this section where he says i think tinwell has lots of good points in her training some people rebel against the kinds of things that she's saying but i think she has a good idea of what makes a good a leader or at least one kind of leader the problem is that's not the only kind that works Still, in my mind, she knows that she has to be like that in order to react against Ellen's frivolousness. So maybe Joe's right, and he's trying to build in something here to show that she's not as bad as she seems. She's going hard on Ellen because he was so far in the other direction that she kind of has to. Next chapter, Alendi, or Quan says that Alendi was born of a humble family yet married the daughter of a king. Whatever Which relevance raises that the might. question. Well, does Elendi have descendants still around somewhere? Did Rashek try and hunt them down and kill them after he killed Elendi? Mm -hmm. Or, like, does does Elendi still have blood relatives out there? This is an interesting like, question. We were, we were, because I mean, you know, the the question we had last book, which Joe jo was certain of, is like she was the daughter of the Lord Ruler. Like she she wasn't Rashek's daughter, but she could be a descendant of the guy who was meant to have the power, maybe. Mm -hmm. Red, st red string, tinfoil hat. <laughs> oh, I skipped at the end that uh, Demu shows up and says that Lord, Set daughter has Lord Set's daughter has shown up and she's looking for Breeze. Sorry, that's an important thing as we go into the next chapter. But no, you have a really good point. And it's actually, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but that this line is related to a line from the last book in the, uh, in the, the log book where Alendi uh, is wondering, he's like, do I really, you know, what proof do we really have that I'm this prophesied person? He says, my several marriages could give me a bloodless bond to the world's kings, in quotes, if you look at it the right way. So, oh, I had forgotten that. 
he's had several marriages. At least one of them, we find out from Quan, is uh, to the daughter of a king. Which I feel like he's kind of misleading us here, where he's like, my several marriages could give me the quote-unquote bloodless bond to the world's kings. Which is like, well, I, I guess, yeah, if you married a lot of women then you, in a lot of different kingdoms, then you kind of... But no, at least one of them was actually a the daughter of a king. So that is definitely a bond to one of the kings of the world. You kind of underplayed that one, Lindy. Maybe you're just like, huh, oh, I'm going to be the hero of ages. What are, what are kings to a god? Eh, I mean, at this point, I don't know that he... I, I don't know that he... He doesn't seem to have much idea about what's going to happen at the Well of Ascension. So I don't know if they see him as like a yeah, god-like sure. figure. In fact, I think he even talks about wanting to like retire afterwards and go live somewhere warm. So he definitely didn't expect to become emperor of the world. Yeah, true. And we meet Aurian Set. I don't know. What do you guys think of uh, this? What a pink. <laughs> Vin calls her like a pink powder puff or something here in a little bit. But she's something. She's a sweet, naive girl who should not be in the middle of a fucking battle camp. Like, I agree <laughs> with her. What the fuck was her dad thinking? Oh, hold on. Before this discussion, I absolutely have to read this this annotation. Because this is some behind-the-scenes stuff that never actually comes out in this book. So, <laughs> Brandon says, The truth is that, yes, indeed, Set caught Breeze in bed with his daughter. In Breeze's defense, she kind of snuck in herself when he was sleeping and snuggled up to him. However, that was not why Set chased Breeze out of his camp. You'll find out more about that later. Oh. So, <laughs> okay. What do you guys think of uh, this girl? Well, good guy Breeze. Trying to... Trying to just do his thing, and this girl somehow is infatuated with him. You know, what you gonna do? She does seem to like him a lot in this chapter. And we, we start out with, who is it? it uh, who says it? Ellen says, it looks like you were right about Breeze and Seth's daughter, Ham. And Ham is, like, dumbfounded. Like, I didn't. <laughs> what? I love that. <laughs> it's cute, because when is Ham ever lost for words? <laughs> it's true. He's like, I didn't expect to be right. And she hugs Breeze. And he has to be like, uh, maybe you should introduce yourself to the king. <clears throat> king over here. Alrian Set, daughter of Lord Ashweather Set, king of the Western Dominance. And she has run away from her dad's camp because uh, it's so uncomfortable. She rarely had fresh water and she couldn't take a decent bath without the fear of peeping soldiers. Hadn't had a good conversation in weeks and before Bree showed up. You're right that she shouldn't be in this camp, judging from what we hear here. But I, I also find it hard to feel terribly sorry for her. I don't know. Until we know more about her, I'm just like, look, you might not be the brightest bulb, but <laughs> yeah, like in the grand scheme of things, should not be in an army camp. In fact, that's probably more of a reason to not be in an army camp. Mm, yeah. But Bree thinks she's pretty intelligent. He does say that. She, she says Breeze, she had to see Breeze again. He was so charming and so wonderful. I wouldn't have expected Father to understand a man such as he. Laying <laughs> it on a bit thick. And Ham is just lapping this up in the background. It's like, Father yep. drove him away. Because? Because. <laughs> <laughs> Ham is like, you are never leaving this down. <laughs> Ham is like, oh good, it's my birthday. <laughs> and so uh, Ellen gives her some rooms and uh, they they have a little talk where everyone starts laughing at Breeze and he's like I failed to see the levity in this situation sure this is going to make Set more determined to kill us than before 
and they just can't stop laughing. Ham's like seeing you hugged by that courtly fluff cake. <laughs> I think Dachshund's response is my favorite, where he's like, I'm not accustomed to you being the one to bring us pro- a problem of this nature, Breeze. Honestly, I thought that we would be able to avoid unplanned female attachments now that Kel is gone. <laughs> Which, that just makes me want to hear more about Kelsey and Dachshund's history. I assume this must be before he married uh, Mare, when well, unplanned female attachments show up. I guess you could well, call you know, the guy. The guy's probably lonely after his wife died, you know? <laughs> I don't think we saw it. Well, who knows? You could call Vin, I suppose, an unplanned female attachment, but not quite the same way. Well, well he, yeah, Dachshund. he doesn't specify romantic, so. Right. right. But it was Dachshund that led Kelsier to Vin anyway. That's true. So he planned a little bit of it, at least. And yep. Vin comes in and says, what was that pink thing I just passed in the hallway? And Breeze corrects her that it was red, and she says, close enough. That's just such a weird exchange, where she <laughs> she doesn't know colors or something, I don't know. And Breeze says that they'll probably have to get a new pastry chef, or have desserts ordered in, because Aurian is very particular about her pastries. Uh, oh, okay. We, we skip we skip the bit where, like, when she's in the court, Ellen's listening to her, and she's like, I think I'm gonna need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna need a drink for this, for sure. Lots yep. of drinks. Breeze is going to need many. Yep. Breeze always has a cup of wine in his hand, though. It's fine. I think now Breeze is going to need something stronger. And so, uh, all right. Spook's been making moonshine. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Spookshine. The best in town. <laughs> Spookshine. <laughs> when you want to get tipsy, but you don't have much, drink Spookshine. It'll get you fucked up. <laughs> that went an interesting direction it'll make you talk like spook does yep yeah wasn't with the drunk uh, everybody that explains <laughs> it he was drunk the whole time yep yep that's exactly what it was <laughs> ever since he was a kid he's just been wasted <laughs> wasn't with the wasted <laughs> <laughs> no he's not trying to he's not trying to say wasn't he's trying to say wasted yeah. Oh, yep, yep. Wessing with the West Wessing. <laughs> Whammy Wazzle. Wormy Wormy Wazzle. Okay. But when Vin comes in, Ellen says, oh yeah, apparently she and uh, Breeze are something of an item. And Breeze is like, excuse me? Which he's like, we have not established that, despite what you just saw. And Vin's immediate reaction is, that's disgusting, Breeze. You're old, she's young. Which is so Vin. Yeah. Oh, Last and then she she was like, Ellen, you must be twice my age. Yeah. And then she goes for the he goes for the kill, man. He's like, well, I remember a certain young woman being smitten with Kelsier. Yeah, and that's not the kind that right in front of Ellen too. That's harsh. She she must have really irritated Breeze for him to immediately go for the throat like that. Yeah. I do Although think Breeze also... is a bit vulnerable. <laughs> this did also sort of bring to mind the conversation that Kelsier and Vin had in the first book where he saw her as a daughter and what you said in the annotations where Brandon said, oh yeah, I wanted to make it clear that there was a father-daughter relationship and nothing romantic in it. I'm just like, was this added in because people still wouldn't shut up about that? Because I could totally see that happening. Mm, that's a good That's a good point. Totally could be. I just, I just spotted the bit where it's like, Doxon says, take her hostage. I was like, of course, it had to be Doxon. He's the, he's the like, calm, rational one. So he's he's the guy who puts out uh, the, the rational suggestions that no one else wants to say. 
but I, I like they start like Vin and Bree start arguing about like whether or not she was into Kelsier, and Ellen is finally like, no, no, this line of discussion is not helpful. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Dachshund's like, hey, she could be a bargaining ship, and Vin's like, you mean take her hostage? And he says, someone has to, someone had to say it, Vin. But Ham points out rightly that it's not really a hostage if she came and asked to come and hang out with you. Well, while that's true, like you could still hold her there and like you know mm. make threats to the like to the sort of a hostage. It's kind of like hostages just look. She just walked up and and jumped in. We're not going to ignore that opportunity. Look, I captured her. It was super hard. I don't know. That's just that's that's just the very Lannister thing to do. It's like look, a person came up and just willingly came to us. Doesn't mean we can't do what we want with them. Fair point. And so they're worried about what reaction Set will have to this. And Breeze is like, well, but shouldn't we take her feelings into account? Which, yeah, okay, Breeze, you like the girl. I get it. And everyone looks to Ellen to make a decision, which he's kind of shocked by. He's like, wait, when did this happen? Oh, right, I'm king. Okay, I guess I'll decide. <laughs> and he says, okay, she can stay. Maybe we'll have to use her later. But for now, let's wait on making that decision. Is that, and I, I told you guys last week, this is a pretty short chapter. And it really is. That's... We've gotten to the end of it, except that Breeze looks relieved that Alrianne will be staying. So whether she snuck into Aww. his bed or not, he totally uh, kind of likes her, it seems like. Also, if he felt that her her crush on him was totally out of the question, he could have done something about it. Mm-hmm. So he obviously likes her if he's let it get that far. Well, and He argues with Vin when she says you're old and she's young. He's like, I'm not that old and she's not that young. So, yeah. I see you there, Breeze. <laughs> Vin's like, she looks like she's 12. <laughs> Which is, that is just the most... Like, everyone says that when, you t- when you're talking about a ch- like someone young who you've seen growing up, it's like, you can't be that old. You're like 12. It's always 12. <laughs> I yeah. don't think I never noticed that, but I think you're right. <laughs> never 13. Always 12. Always 12, because then they're not a teenager. I guess that mm, makes sense. That does make sense. So our final epigraph is he could trade words with the finest of philosophers and had an impressive memory nearly as good even as my own, yet was not argumentative. So at this point, he's just like throwing Alendi facts at us with these last two. To what purpose? Who knows? Dear diary, Alendi does not reciprocate my crush. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, And you have to remember, he's apparently pounding this into like a big sheet of metal which can't be super easy, so he has to think all of these things are relevant in some way. Yep. I mean, you, you have to be really naturally long-winded to be long-winded while pounding stuff into metal. And It was a big sheet, though. Who knows? It could be very, very long. We don't know how small his writing was on this giant sheet of metal. That doesn't make the effort less. Yeah. It may, might actually make the effort more, depending on what you're using to write with. <laughs> yep. So anyway, Vin's out in the mists, thinking stuff through, and kind of following Ham, and she has Orsor howl so that it surprises Ham, and he kind of spins around and instinctively flares Pewter so that she can uh, sense that he's doing it and figure out that he's not the Chondra. And there's a little bit in the annotations about this, actually, that I was going to bring out, because this always seemed like a weird thing to me. I was like, look, just go up to Ham and be like, dude, burn some Pewter real quick. You know we're looking for this thing. I'll tell you, the Chondra can't Burn pewter. So do it. Okay, good. We're done. I'm like, why? Why go to, to, through all the theater? Uh, because you also know the Contra can't kill a human. So even if like, he wouldn't, Ham wouldn't attack you if he was the Contra. But anyway, so his notation on this section is 
This chapter has another poetic introduction. I warned you about those, I believe. I hope this isn't too out of place here. Testing Ham in this way is something Vin really should have done earlier in the book. The problem is I had lots of things that I need to pack into a relatively short space of time in this book, and I did the things in order of importance. Oddly, testing the crew members took a lower precedence than getting Alrian into the city or introducing Ellen's plan to deal with the warlords. But finally, we get yes, that to, is weird. Mm, we get to work on the imposter plot. There are dozens of ways that Vin could have gotten Ham to burn pewter, but she wanted to do one where he didn't know she was there and where he would use the metal reflexively. She also wanted to do it where she knew he was alone. That way she couldn't be fooled by someone burning pewter nearby to make it seem like Ham was burning it. So, I mean, her bronze detection is pretty good. Surely that shouldn't be a problem. That's what I thought. But uh, this is the guy who created it, so apparently maybe you can be tricked. Uh, and I don't know if anyone thought that he would be, but Ham is not the Chondra. We know Joe doesn't. We know, we know what Joe thinks. Joe's volcano theory is that the dog is the bad guy. We got that. Um, to Dak, Jamie, uh, at this point, have you guys come up with any theories? We've only narrowed it down by like one or two people since this started. Um, I do have a theory, but I'm going to leave it for predigments. Okay. Um, but enough. I think originally I was like, I was sort of thinking Doxon would be a good person, um, mm-hmm. especially if the being able to sort of find out by the use of allomancy was a thing because he's not an allomancer. It would be harder. Like you couldn't apply that test and he was in a position. So like, yeah, I, I thought Doxon, which I'm still not like uh, not Doxon, but I have another idea. So, yeah, I mean, if you're a conjurer and you know that allomancy weakness exists that you can't replicate that then i feel like you would want to choose the guy with no alamancy right well i mean if they're, infilt- if they're infiltrating the king's court it's helpful to know who he's got around him and who is and is not an alamancer if you can find that out surely like there, there are That's spies true. everywhere around the city they can probably find that information out somehow might not be public knowledge who is and is not an alamancer that's a good point yeah i think initially when like the imposter plot came up i think Ham actually was my top pick the first episode just because Ham's the nicest guy in the crew and I thought that would be shocking if it turned out to be him. But I don't think I really I don't think I really followed I don't actually think I really thought much about who it is because I'm just waiting for more options to present themselves. I'm just like I don't know enough to make yeah. a call one way or the other that isn't just a stab in the dark, so that's fair. I think you're right. I remember you talking about Ham because I was like, "Oh, that's interesting because he's the only one with like a family that would notice if he was different." So, yeah. But it's not Ham. His children are not orphans now, or, well, fatherless. They have a mom. Thank God. If Ham dies. (laughs) If Ham dies, we revolt. (laughs) Riot! And then Ham and Vin have a conversation about uh, how to get around someone burning at him, because she reveals that she is out. Which, really smart, not revealing that to him, to anyone, before you knew that they weren't the traitor, the spy. <laughs> that it never even occurred to me, but yeah, that was a good thing not to go around just telling everyone. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts? Because what it comes down to is Ham does not have much helpful suggestion on how to get around Adium. But knowing yeah, as much as we know, do you guys have any ideas? So, I mean, first of all, she didn't mention it to anyone before now. But if Orser was close by and he's that Chondra, then now they're going to find out that she's out of Adium. Mm-hmm. But as far as getting around Alamancers of the Adium goes, I mean, I guess 
The only thing I could think of is if you like were able to somehow double team a Mistborn in a way where they didn't know the other person was there, maybe with a Chondra or Sir, you know, to try to make it look like you knew things were happening before they were. Hmm. Maybe that would be a way to fool someone, but more than likely, I think Ham's suggestion is the best. It's like you either have to get the drop on them or you have to put them in a situation where they, even if they know what's about to happen, they can't escape it. Yeah, his 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 are definitely the most logical. Uh, I agree. I sort of thought that maybe the Duralumin could be used with a combination of other metals that they've already mm. got access to to enhance it. So they, I know they mentioned again, like with the Adium, yes, it gives you what might happen in the future, but it also gives you that clarity for that really quick reaction. And I think it's when they burn, I think it's when they burn tin because it's like really sharpening their senses. And I know like Vin's used it before, like if she's a bit disoriented or something to sort of pull herself back together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking maybe a combination of that pewter for the strength and, and all that sort of stuff. If she's going to enhance what she's burning at the time. Yes. I mean, it also gets rid of everything, but that might be enough that she needs to get around, especially when the Duralumin, it's not, it's not commonly known even amongst Mistborn. Yeah, and that would be why Ham doesn't know about it too, I guess. She may be the only one. Well, her and Ham was there when they tested, but it didn't actually do anything then. She may be the only one who knows about Duralumin as far as we know and what it does. Mm. Yep. Has she told anyone? No, I don't think so. We haven't seen her tell anyone since she discovered what it did. Um, Not even Orsua knows that, I don't think. Orsua was there when she used it and like got knocked down by the force of... like. She because her tin got enhanced so much that like the sound of her own heart basically knocked her down with how loud it was, and he saw that mm. happen. But I don't know that she explained. I don't think she did explain because Zane showed up right after that. So yeah, maybe that nobody knows. Interesting. Now, now you get me thinking like, what would Duralumin do with various other things, and uh, especially the weird well, ones he, like gold? Like, what does it do with that? I've just always wondered. She's already good at piercing copper clouds with um, by burning her bronze. If she applied Duralumin to that, like, what the hell would that do? Well, we know that's what she did to figure out what's, what Breeze was soothing, was she applied, applied Duralumin to the bronze, but yeah, if... Uh... Yeah, but if she was, like, out on patrol and, like, searching for people... Mm. Interesting yeah. question. Um, but as for how to defeat an Atium user, the only thing I could come up with was um, the Alfred in the Dark Knight situation. It's like, we burned the forest down. Oh. Uh, I... I... For some reason, when you said Alfred in the Dark Knight, my mind immediately went to Alfred from Batman Begins, where he hits he he, he hits the guy with the thing, and he's like, "Man, I hope you weren't one of the Fire Brigade." Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> Ham did say get the drop on him, so once yep. again, Alfred knows how to take on Alamancers. <laughs> <laughs> Just burn the city down. That'll get the Alamancer. They can't escape fire. I'm, I'm okay with well, that. Like, or you know, just burn down the enemy army's camp, mm. or a building. Trap him in the building and. Set it on fire. I don't know how you burn down a camp, like, an open out on the open field or whatever, unless there's, like, burnable grass around it. Maybe that would work. Well, if they got palisades made out of wood, you just fire the wooden palisades mm, and trap them yeah. inside. Although, I guess an Al- I guess a Mistborn could just, you know, drop a few coins and jump over that, so jump maybe that wouldn't it, work. Probably. Yeah. yeah. And we get a question where she's like, wait, my test... She thinks that her test is a good one until she realizes... He said that they couldn't replicate 
allomantic powers from people they ate, but he did not say Chondra couldn't be an allomancer on his own. And I don't know if that had ever occurred to anyone that that might be a thing. I don't know. It comes back to what does a Chandra do with Atium? Well, yeah, they, 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 that is how you pay them, so that's a good question. And he doesn't want to answer her question at first, and then eventually he kind of he kind of does anyway, which is the beginning of their uh, conversation that we talked about at the beginning of the episode, where she wants to try to get to know him, and he kind of doesn't want her to get to know him. And she says, uh, they start this conversation, and... Then it's like, you know, we got to figure out a way to make this relationship work. You you hate me. I hate you. Whatever. Shouldn't actually say that. But that's, that's kind of the thing. It's like, we don't, you know, we don't get along, but we got to figure out how to make this work. And he says, why do you hate me? And this is a really interesting part that I also wanted to pull out of the uh, the annotations here. Because he says, obviously, the most important events in this chapter deal with Vin and Orsor and their relationship. The real reason why she hates him is something that I hope you've been wondering about. Because the uh, he ate Kelsier argument is intended to fall flat for the readers. Vin's smarter than that, as Orser said. So eating Kelsier's body is a little dumb thing. A person who grew up on the streets would not be bothered by something like that. It's simple, if brutal, but particularly not for as long as Vin has held a grudge against Orsor. And he says, this is why. She did love Kelsier, not romantically perhaps, though her emotions weren't as simple at the time as she now likes to think. Either way, Kelsier's death affected her great, greatly, and focusing on Orsor, the one who knew the real plan and didn't stop him, gave her something to be to hate, to be mad at, because she couldn't hate Kelsier, but she could resent the one that let him die. So that's what comes out of the beginning of this conversation, is that the real reason she doesn't like him is because of he's the one who knew all along that Kelsier was going to die, and he never said anything. Well, now I feel like a dumbass for never, never picking up on that. <laughs> I think we talked a little bit before. Like, I'm pretty sure somebody mentioned that, like, he ate Kelsier is kind of a weird reason for her to be so upset because he was just following his contract. But uh, that leads us into this deeper discussion of uh, different masters and how they treat him. And he doesn't want to talk about it. But uh, she kind of she realizes I have to open up some maybe a little too to get him to open up. And they realize that they have shared some of the same experiences. People using you. And beating on you and hating you despite the fact that they, you know, are using you to benefit themselves. And Orser's like, how do you know all these things? And she's like, that's not just the way they treat Kondra. Kamen was the worst and maybe the only one who actually recognized that she was a Alamancer. But, uh, so it sucks to be a Kondra also is what we're learning here. Joe's going to have to amend his song. Yeah, <laughs> but also like... Not at all surprising. It's like, all right, so we know they force other humans to be treated like absolute garbage. Of course, the non-humans are going to get treated like that too. Mm -hmm. With the added fear of like, maybe these ones will turn out to be like the Coloss and just like fucking murderous monsters. Yeah, and I mean, he he points out these like, they're really, they're scared of him because he eats them and could impersonate them. And even though they know that he has this contract that says that they won't do exactly that. They still have deep down this this feeling of like, oh, that's something that would eat me and take my place. And he also has his uh, his little where he points out that have you ever been beaten by a master who knows that no matter how hard he hits you, you won't die. And that all he has to get do is get you a new set of bones and you'll be ready the next day to go. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> oh, my God. 
Really? That 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 that's where you went. Okay. Oh, you guys don't like Jack Nicholson? Of all the Hate. things, man. Haters. <laughs> I, I like Jack Nicholson. I just didn't like that movie. Not the best but, Joker. Uh, you know, it came uh, out in 1989. Give the guy a break. Give the movie a break. <laughs> Let's see you make a better Batman movie in 1989. Challenge accepted. Well, it's called 1989 was the year I was born, so like, <laughs> if I made a movie in that year, that like, if I made any movie that year, I'd be impressed. Yeah, yep. exactly. I'd be impressed. <laughs> Sitting there in diapers, complaining about Batman. <laughs> I just don't like Tim Burton. There's a lot of Tim Burton that I, honestly, I, I like that one more than the second one. <clears throat> so. Oh God, don't get me started on that one. Anyway, you know, moving on. Yeah, yeah, right. Hey, we don't need. Don't we don't need to get started. into ranking Batman movies. <laughs> I did it back to the book though. I did think this was just a really sad moment for the Kandra. Just uh, their lives are so horrible, and that the only way that they've been able to integrate back into society without people being absolutely terrified of them is to have this contract. And then you know when he says the contract is life, he's not kidding. Like the only reason they're able to exist in this world is because they have a contract that basically says you can't do that. And then, you know, everything bad that they do do is because they've done it at their master's bidding. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's actually a really sad existence when they probably want to be just just chilling out, being bone eating blobs that are <laughs> a bit more sophisticated. It, it's just it's just really sad for them. Well, yeah. And he even points out that he's like, your people have legends about us, like the mysteries that steal your shape. We're the thing that you use to frighten your children. Is, is stories about us. So do you really think that your society could ever accept us? And it's like, yeah, okay. That's a fair yeah. point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like, I can't break the contract because it is like, if I do that, that could lead to genocide against my people. Yeah. I ain't going to be responsible for that. Yeah, he says that they tried long ago to hide among human society, but your people found us and they started to destroy us. They used Mistborn to hunt us down. And almost completely destroyed us before we came up with the contract. So yeah, it's, what Jamie said is exactly the the thing. It's like the contract is what keeps them alive. And he even talks about uh, not being able to leave again, even when he's not on the contract. That just means he has to go back to the Chandra homeland and is not allowed to leave again. He can be free for two years, but he would have to stay in the Chandra homeland because you can't leave there unless you're on a contract. But Vin does in this whole conversation pick up on the fact that, wait, Mistborn, huh? Mistborn are the important thing that he talks about. The reason that they that the Conjure can't fight is because of the Mistborn. Something so is hidden. be able to do something, do something to find Kandra, which is probably how she'll detect the spy. Mm, yeah, could be. Well, I guess unless Joe is right, because then you wouldn't be able to. True. It's insidious. Also, this does confirm what I've been wondering is that the Kandra do have a homeland somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, where is the land of the blob monsters? <laughs> <laughs> we really haven't explored much of the world other than Luthadel, so it could be like anywhere. They could have been upstairs at the conven- conventicle of Saran, for all we know. Marsh went up and was like, hey, Kandra, what's going on up here? Uh, did the others leave <laughs> anything behind? No one left a note on the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> All power to his blobbiness, the Chandra King. <laughs> the biggest blob of them all. And 
I, I like that the whole conversation ends with uh, him being like, you know what? You're not my worst master. That's probably a compliment. <laughs> I thought he was going to go on and be like, my worst master was Fred. Man, did Fred treat <laughs> me bad. And like tell a whole story about how, how awful his master was. It's like, oh, sorry, Janie. It's just, you, you've just opened up this world now. Like, this poor Kandra is like, oh, finally, okay, I can let all this out. And now he's just going to be sobbing for no reason and Vin can't handle or sore anymore because now he's just this, yeah. this emotion <laughs> filled. He always wants to talk about yeah. his, his childhood and uh, she's got to be a therapist. Yeah. And people are walking by and just like, why is this dog so sad? Wasn't there a sitcom where that happened? She, like, wanted her boyfriend to open up, and then he did, and it was It was stop. Friends. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was Friends. It was oh, Rachel yeah. Bruce and... Um, yeah, it was Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh man. I totally forgot that. <laughs> I, I'd almost forgotten that Bruce Willis was even in that show, but uh, good times. <laughs> he was a weird guest star on that show. So was Brad Pitt. Uh, I, th- I think he lost a bet with Matthew Perry when they were doing the whole nine yards. <laughs> when they were doing the whole nine yards. He's yeah. like, hey, you got to come on the show. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Well, I bet you a whole nine yards will make a ton of money. You're on. Oh, I guess I, I was wrong. I think that actually was the bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I have to look that up in a minute. But that's that's amazing. I want to watch the whole nine yards again. I haven't seen that in a while. It's a great movie. Uh, okay, sorry. Back to what we're doing. <laughs> Vince, I mean, really, I think I agree with Dak that this is one of the the better kind of moments in the book so far is finally seeing these two open up and start building a relationship with each other. It's really nice after what we've seen of them so far. It gives a lot to the book in that we finally have Vin actually being able to talk to someone because I feel like she hasn't really been able to talk to even Ellen um, about her issues and she finally gets to open up to someone here while at the mm. same time getting Orisa to open up about his issues and as a bonus, we get to learn a lot more about the Kandra, which we've been hungry about for, a, like, a book and a half by now. Right. Almost since the beginning of the Final Empire, when we first hear about these guys. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, there's a lot to really dig into here and sink your teeth into, and it's just so satisfying as a reader to get to that. Random side note, IMDb says that the losing a bet thing is was an urban legend in people magazine it said that willis agreed oh, to his guest stint bitch. on friends <laughs> friends simply because he and matthew perry thought it would be fun well that's nice at least so yeah okay i i, I like the bet story better too I, I was trying to find out what this bet exactly was like but no okay anyway so after this really nice conversation we kind of wind down by having vin think about maybe i should just go and kill those get those king guys out there which i've been saying from the beginning I feel like I've mentioned several times, it's like, Vin could just go and take them out. It's fine. But there's there's reasons why maybe she shouldn't do that. I get it. She's, she, well, she and now she's neck, she could just go, who's your daddy? Oh! <laughs> she's thinking about this now, but she knows that Zane is with Straff, so I'm just confused as to why she's now thinking, oh, I should maybe do this. Because she's going to have to go up against them, I assume. I guess it would depend. Yeah, if, if she made a lot of noise going in, then Zane would definitely probably show up. But, I mean, she's a stealthy assassin. She might be able to make it in. Yeah. And... I don't know. I feel like this guy's watching. The Watcher, if you will, is watching <laughs> watcher her is too watching. closely. <laughs> yeah. Who watches the Watchman? And uh, and then the Mist Spirit uh, starts to creep into here. And she's so distracted that she doesn't hear what Orsor hears. 
there's somebody walking around out there in the darkness, in the mist. And it turns out it's it's Sazed. So that's good. And Sazed is out there wandering around like, I was wondering how long it can take you to find me. I'm just out here like waiting for you. <laughs> and he says, I have uh, news of a rather disconcerting nature. And she says, what is it? And he says, problems, Lady Vin. Problems and troubles. So uh, that is the end of our three chapters. Uh, we, we, Sazed has made it back. I don't know if anyone wasn't expecting him to be back this soon, but uh, he made it to town, I guess. So any last thoughts any, uh, about Sazed or about these chapters before we get into predigments? Well, I'm just really glad that Sazed made it back. He did make it back quicker than I thought, and... I'm really excited to see what they do now that they're going to have the information about the Kolos army. Yep. Feels like the band's finally all back together. Maybe something cool will happen. <laughs> we may have to do that in predigments. Like, what do you guys think that they're going to do with this new information? Haven't got that far yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get into it. Predigments section. Predictions for what is going to happen. I'm, I'm going to elect somebody. Joe, you can go first. What do you got for us? Oh, I got to go first, huh? Okay. So, predictions. So, kind of to keep on that same path, I hope that the conversation, even if it's not really or sir, I, ho- I hope the conversation between she and that Chandra was genuine. I hope that she and he, even if he ends up being a spy, maybe he like, he does a double turn, a double, double cross, you know? Because he's building up a relationship with her, and he's, which I know they're saying the contract is life, and he can't disobey his contract. So if he's really under contract with somebody else, pretending to be under her contract, then that's kind of a weird area to get into because I don't know how that would work for his his contract. It's like because mm. if he's spying on her as per his contract with somebody else, I don't know what his, the ramifications are for him, but. Yeah, I hope that's a genuine conversation, even if it's not actually Orser and, and she having it. So I'd be interested to see where that's going. I really want Says to take Vin out of Luthadel. I want her to go on an adventure. Like we've been saying, it's like we kind of feel trapped in Luthadel right now because they're being besieged. And um, it's just it's just kind of a weird deal, you know? Even, even though pretty much the entire book in the last book took place in Luthadel, it's it's almost like there was more freedom in that last book than we're feeling now, even though yeah. they were all working in secret. You don't feel so, trapped because they didn't feel trapped. Right, exactly. We in the same place. Yeah. So I'm really hoping that Says takes her on a whirlwind, whirlwind adventure up, up north. I really want to see the Terrace Land. I hope before the end of this series we get to I, – I predict, you know, I'm going to just say it's going to happen. I hope uh, – you know, I predict we'll, we'll get to see Terrace possibly and – and maybe even stumble into the land of the Chandra. My guess is that it's also up north, maybe past Terrace. I don't know. Uh, I was going to say, you think they hang out together like the Chandra and the Terrace or buddy-buddy? Nah, I think, you know, because Elendi, <laughs> his first encounter with these mist creatures was up up past that north area, so maybe that's where the mist wraiths, the Chandra also hang out, are up up in the far north. So I predict we'll get to see those maybe eventually. That'd be great. And I still predict that this plan is not going to go super great. I don't know how this conversation is going to go with with uh, Straff, but my guess is things are not going to go Ellen's way. Um, I like what Jamie and Dak mentioned about the coins thing maybe being a bigger deal. 
so I'm excited. I'm excited to see where, where things go. I feel like when I got to this point, I was very excited to see what happens uh, in this meeting with Straff, like Ellen talking to his dad again for the first time and Vin being there. Like Vin does not seem like the kind to take some shit off his dad. So uh, I was really excited <laughs> for that personally. That's that. But anyway, Jamie, your turn. What do you what do you have for us? So I am really looking forward to the story that's unfolding in the epigraphs. I think the we actually got a name for the I think it's the prophecy the the anticipation. Yep. So I think now that Sazed is back and obviously there he's piecing together that there's the problems with the mist beings. He's going to talk to Vin about it. They're going to talk about the the um uh, not Alendi Quan's writings from the conventicle. I think we're going to start to hear more about that now, especially now that we've given it a name as well. So I think yeah, it won't be very long till we find out about what the prophecy actually was and we'll be able to start piecing together maybe who we think the prophecy is really talking about. Um, and there's little hints unfolding in there, so I'm really excited to see what comes there. I don't so much have a prediction at this point on who I think the prophecy is about, but I think we will start to be predicting those sorts of things. My main prediction for this time, I'm really concerned what Osur is hiding about the Khandra. Like he was very, what we believe, he's very open in this last chapter that we read and, you know, starting to to piece things together there. But he's always really reluctant to answer questions about what they can and can't do with Alamancy, and then Vin raises the question, do they have Alamantic powers? I sort of thought, can they mimic the powers? Can they mimic the the pulses or something? So could, is it possible that Vin oh. could actually sense that and maybe their pulses are a bit different because she's more finely tuned to it? Maybe she'll be able to figure out who it is based on on that. But I, I just don't feel like it's going to be, even though, even though Osor is saying, yep, your plan will work, I'm I'm not convinced that it's going to be that simple. My my other I have a question actually. Can the Kandra survive without bones? Like what do they become? Can they just shed their bones and be hmm. a mist blob? I feel like I mean I think we've seen mist the mist wraith at least like crawling around and stuff. I guess it had some bones in it when it was following Vin and Kelsier, but. Mm. You, you got to figure that they have to be able to move at least somewhat to find bones in the first place. I'm, I mean, just regular mystery. Yeah. If Chandra are related to mystery, yeah. then probably, I don't know. That's, that's interesting. Possibly. So, well, depending on how that works, my thoughts are we've got Zane filling Vin with why are you playing their games, filling her head with a whole bunch of uncertainty, questioning everything, We've got these freshly shed bones. I'm starting to think that maybe there actually isn't an imposter at this time that when the bones were found, but now now there's that whole feeling of who do we trust? There is an imposter, which would actually be a really clever move from Straff or Set or someone to go, you know what, there's not actually yeah, – yeah, let's create distrust and let's break down your team from inside. Mm. Um if a Chandra could get in there, shed around. the bones. Well, no, they were freshly shed, though. So there is a Chandra, but maybe yeah. maybe he didn't take a body straight away. 
My other question is, how the hell did Pink Puff get in with no one seeing, like no one's pointed it out? <laughs> like, I mean, demos come and gone. Yeah, there's this, there's this person here. She's come to talk to you, but like, I feel like she would be very noticeable. What if she, what if she's a Kandra? What if, what if they've taken her bones mm. and delivered them now straight to them? They don't know her. Except like Breeze knows her, but the team right. don't know her very well. They don't know if she's got alimantic ability or not. Mm. So I'm I'm kind of thinking that she would be a great position to be an imposter. And we're so concentrated on Straff and his army at the moment. To have someone also coming in from Set's army would make total sense. That's really interesting. So like, I guess he, I mean we he told us the bones were freshly shed, but that doesn't necessarily mean they were shed there. I guess if 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 for example. Someone in Set's army, you know, Set has his own Chandra. He says, okay, I'm going to give you a new body, which at the very least we know that they can move, throw out one set of bones and move over and eat a new set of bones. Mm. So they must, they must be somewhat mobile to do that. But. Yeah. So say he's like, here, leave your body. I give you a new body. They take those bones and quickly somehow sneak them into the palace within a few hours of them being shed. Then it could look like a freshly set shed set of bones right yeah and then that's actually really interesting because if you then send in all Rianne or whatever and this is really your spy they're looking for a spy who they know must have been there before she got there right yeah so it's like exactly. oh maybe this is someone that we can trust because we know she's not the spy or at least not that kind yeah. of spy Ooh. and Bree says she's really intelligent as well mm-hmm. even though she's coming across as these absolute deets she's really smart that would be a perfect perfect person to be a spy in general whether she's a chandra or not i guess but i think it would probably be easier for a chandra like it would be a great role for a chandra to play as well mm-hmm. and they can you know really make the most of it but then be in the position like close to breeze not necessarily close to the king mm. but breeze is one of the advisors and breeze likes her breeze trusts her so i think that would be that would be an excellent position for an imposter, especially if they go, you know what, we're going to keep this one hostage or let's hang on to her until we absolutely need to use her. It's now their choice to keep her around, not necessarily her choice to be there. So, Hmm. yes, that's my theory for this week. That one's very well thought out once again. I like that. I tried to be a little bit like out there with it. And then I was like, I've put so much reason into this again. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. It can't be your volcanoes when it's that well reason. Although, although I keep calling no. the, I keep calling Orsor like Joe's volcanoes, and he's he's constantly like, "See, this supports my theory, and this supports my theory," and I'm just like, "Ah, whatever, volcanoes." So maybe it's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that okay, Dak, what do you what do you got? I don't really have too much beyond the super obvious ones that you know, Sazed is back, so he's gonna tell Vin about the mists and she's going to want to, she's going to want to know all about that. I think Saze is now finally going to have the time to read Quan's entire board. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, there's probably going to be something hidden on there, which is going to lead them to go to the well. I, I, I think cause it's it, something, something to do with how that, how the epigraphs are all building up. It's going to talk about more stuff of what's, what went down at the well. And they're just like, all right, we need to go there and figure and figure this shit out. So I think that's, what's going to lead them up that way. I think Olrienne is a spy. I don't think she's a Kandra, but I do think that she's not quite as ditzy as she lets on. Cause there's again, 
There's got to be some reason Daddy brought her to the war. It, I just, it just blows my mind that they would have someone who's just very light and fluffy and wants nothing but pastries to bring to a mm. war effort. So, yeah. so I think that's a persona that she's putting on, and she is ideally placed to be set spy in uh, the capital. Maybe she's set Mistborn. So you're going to have Vin, you're going to have Pink Puff, and you're going to have Zane fight it out. Or just just random thought, it might not be that he wanted to bring her for a reason. It might be there was a reason he did not want to leave her behind. Also true. Mm -hmm. Now that you say that she could be a Mistborn, I think the bad bad guy in Kick-Ass was Red Mist. And so now I think, oh, cool, Pink Mist. That's her name now. (laughs) She wasn't even really wearing pink. Breeze said that it was red, but Vin calls it pink. <laughs> yeah, pink puff, pink, pink mist. There we go. Plus, yeah, we're already like confused about how to pronounce her name, so pink mist. That's nice and easy. Nah, that's that that is easy to pronounce. You're not wrong. <laughs> but yeah, as I don't really have much else to predict. As I said, like this chapter has convinced me to backflip on what I've been harping on about for several chapters now. I no longer think Orisaur is going to turn out to be a traitor. In fact, now I'm actually thinking the ad, like the Adium will run out or the contract will expire or whatever, because we still don't know how long that's got to last. But right. or, or over time, he's going to feel like Vin's actually not so bad. So he might just say, you know what? You're not the only one who has a lo- who had a lot to learn about friendship. And I've learned. I thought I was teaching you, but really you were teaching me. Oh, <laughs> there were there was uh, there was two foot footprints in the sand and now there's just one. <laughs> it's when you carried me. Yeah, yeah, I get. Is it? It's as yeah, yeah. The dog prince disappeared. The dog prince. Yeah. My okay. my best friend. My 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 best friend. The 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 bone eating dog blob monster. <laughs> yeah. Weekends with uh, Orser. <laughs> weekend at the Lord Rulers. Sorry, I was trying to think of somebody dead for weekend at Bernie's, but I couldn't yeah. do it. Okay. Like, <laughs> sorry, like just the one last addendum. It's like because that's the thing we keep overlooking. We assume Vin potentially sazed. I think we've thrown Marsh out there as well. Uh, we don't know who else would travel up to the well. We're like, well, if Vin leaves, Orosaur's gonna follow. So, mm. you know, that'll, that'll be a nice little nice little road trip. Uh, the Mistborn girl, the Terraceman, and the dog. Maybe Orian will go and uh, keep him company. And they can eat pastries. <laughs> got, we got to we got to do. Well, she, she doesn't make the pastries. She takes uh, them. That's a fair point. Yeah. She'll Especially bring her pastry chef pastries. <laughs> Just dial up Uber Eats and you know, <laughs> I need some pastry. <laughs> no, 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 we want the road trip movie to start. Everyone's waiting for it. Okay. <laughs> start singing, moving right along from the Muppets. <laughs> so this week. <laughs> One email is what we got. It is from Angela, although she, she notes in the signature, not the one that has written in before. So, new Angela. Hi, oh, new Angela. Okay. Hi, new Angela. <laughs> Hello. She says, hi, Sander Lanch crew. I've been listening to your podcast from the beginning, and I'm loving it. It's fun to re-experience the Mistborn series, my favorite of Sanderson's, this way. The predigments and random references to other shows and books have me laughing most of the time. The best part is when someone gets a prediction right, and bonus points when it's one that they think is a throwaway. I still haven't decided if I'm particularly unobservant, since many of the twists that Dak, Jamie, and Joe have predicted are things that I never saw coming, or if I didn't see them coming because the Mistborn series was my first experience with epic fantasy. 
some of the crew have clearly read other epic fantasy. So maybe they are just more familiar with the tropes and the ways to turn them on their head than I was. That may be true. I, I'm trying to remember. I don't know if I've read any other fantasy or much other fantasy like this before The Mistborn, but that was many, many years ago. So I was like, This would probably be my first sort of big epic fantasy book as well. But I think the thing that really gives us that that ability to start predicting things is because we are dissecting in such small chunks mm. and we're looking for things too. Whereas I think if we were to sit down and just read the book cover to cover, a lot of it you wouldn't be thinking about it so much. You would just continue reading it and just be absorbed in the story. So, I th- yeah, I think that's probably why we're we're picking things up. I think some things are probably more designed to draw your attention to think about them. Like the the who's the traitor plot is kind of out there for you to be like, oh, hey, let's see if we can figure out who the traitor is along with Vin, while other things are more in the background. Mm. So I really uh, I agree with Jamie. I feel like the format in which we do things is really lends itself to being able to kind of see what maybe things are out there. Plus, honestly, some of my I would say probably 50 to 60 percent of the predictions that I make in the show I'm formulating as we're talking. So not only are we taking, yeah. So not only are we taking these books kind of piece by piece, but we're also because of the medium in which we're doing it. I think we're also kind of feeding off each other's ideas to come up with some of our more interesting theories or more thought out theories. So that just lends itself to, I think completely to the format in which we're doing this, because if I was reading this all myself, I don't know that I would, really first of all i mean if i'm just reading it to read it like most readers i'm sure i'm just experiencing it as i'm reading it right so i'm not sitting there thinking about each chapter i'm just moving on to the next chapter and getting no one's forcing you to predict things when you're just exactly i'm I'm here like make a prediction right now exactly exactly because because you you guys will hear it too sometimes he'll like today he asked me to go first and i was just kind of like um uh okay yeah let me formulate something it's like i don't have these ideas fully formulated and ready to go before we start the show each time maybe i should maybe that would make me even better at it if i sat down and tried to like research the things that we read but i just i feel like my ideas flow more organically because of the way that we're reading the book so i'm glad you guys enjoy the predictions i enjoy like thinking on my feet and thinking about things critically that way because it's it's not something you get to do even in like say a school setting normally you don't usually think on your feet when you're studying a book in school um mm. so i i kind of like that aspect to this medium especially it's because we're all discussing it and kind of thinking up ideas right on the spot so i must say that Dax's um, volcano theory really shaped my thoughts about adium in the first book you know always had that in the back <laughs> of my head going yep that's what adium is <laughs> Is a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I'm just adium, having to <laughs> Adium plus duralumin is somehow going to equal volcanoes after all. It's, it's, it's built in there somewhere deep. Well, Brandon yeah, Sanderson, if you're listening, <laughs> again, in one of your future books. The, this, this is still one of the big mysteries that we don't know how it was solved. So, like, before the Lord Ruler came about, the sky was yellow. Oh, sorry, the sun was yellow, the sky was blue. <laughs> the sky uh, was yellow and the sun was blue. That would be fun. Jesus. Um... <laughs> But but yeah, it's like and then he did something and then the sky was covered with ash. Where the ash come from? The volcanoes. The he the volcanoes were caused somehow. They weren't naturally there. 
Or if they mm. were, then they were dormant and weren't, you know, blanketing everything in ash. So there is a reason I went for <laughs> fucking volcanoes, <laughs> goddammit. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, your version of the Big Bang. There, first yeah. there was Atium only, and then boom, everything was there. It's all there in black and white, folks. If you're not on board with the <laughs> volcano train, it's really your own fault. <laughs> Buy more red string, damn it. Tie it to the pictures <laughs> on the wall. Make it happen. <laughs> okay. So the rest of her email. Is... <laughs> Sorry, right, you Angela. An email. Yeah, I love I love that the crew has no idea if or when predictions will come true. The episode today amused me, not because there was discussion or speculation on something that doesn't happen in the Mistborn set, but it's a thing in the next group of Mistborn books, and I'm looking forward to seeing the reactions when we get there. I'm, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to the episode before last again because I'm not sure which bit she's touched on there. But uh, I, and then I feel like that's probably was that might have been the episode where we talked about gunslingers with mm, like powers. I remember we talked yeah. about that. Could be. And then, uh, so she has, uh, this is the best paragraph because it's about B, obviously. So (laughs) she says, Data, I'm super impressed with your poker face when the predictions come in and your ability to discuss the book while seemingly not giving anything away. It cracks me up when you say something that foreshadows or does give away something, but the crew has no idea. Today's episode had one of those in there, and it wasn't even for this series. I hope you read read this part. I, no, no, no. Your your sigh or, or sound of frustration is perfect because her next sentence is, I hope you read this part on the show because I know if I was in the crew's shoes, it would drive me crazy trying to figure out what you said and how long it's going to take to find out what you were talking about. <laughs> yes, yes. Our cluelessness is amusing to you people. Yes, yes. We're, we're clueless as always. You know, I think we all just need to smoke a J and calm down. <laughs> And then she she ends with wasing to the time of next Angela, Aww. not the one that has written in before. Thank Aww. you, Angela. You're awesome. Thank you for embracing our sign off. Yeah. Yes. Good email. <laughs> Great. It email. may it, it might amuse you to know Dak and I listen back to the podcast in the car when we're together, and um, often we we hear the episodes where I think we're probably maybe four weeks behind where we're actually recording. So, so we'll, we'll hear our theories again and things that Data said and, and we go, oh, damn it, he was baiting us. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we've learned things since and going, oh, my God. The amount of times we're, sit, we're sitting there, we're, like, we're driving around and like someone says something that is just completely incorrect and you just go, ba-bow. Yeah. We are like when it's wrong. The other day we were listening to something that Joe had said. He'd made a prediction, and every time he said something, I was like, "Ding, that's right, ding, that's right." Yeah, it's it's like the noise the game show makes when you make it when you make a wrong noise. Uh, Wrong, wrong answer. Sorry. Or the amount of times I've jinxed myself. Like I'm listening and I'm so absorbed in the conversation, and then I just start talking in the car and I'm speaking the exact same words that I was speaking in the podcast at the same time. You've actually like, talked over yourself with the exact words a few times now. It's actually quite quite odd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've I've done the same thing when I'm editing. I'm sitting here and somebody says something. And I'm like, oh well, obviously I, I would I should say this in response, and then I say that thing. I'm like, oh, we'll see. There, there you go. See, I was right. <laughs> Must be true. I've said it twice. Right? Okay. So thank you, Angela. And if anyone else wants to send us emails, thesanderlanch at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at thesanderlanch. You can find us on uh, – you can leave us comments on Podbean. You can find us on Facebook. Oh, I'm really glad I said that because somebody actually sent us a message on Facebook and I forgot to uh, 
I was going to read it, and I forgot that it existed until I said that. See, there's a reason to say these same things every single episode, because <laughs> I'm I'm dumb and forget things. So let me pull that up real quick. Aha. So Gerard left uh, sent us a message on Facebook and said, I've deactivated Gerard my social Gerard Way from MCR? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I just we we mentioned my yes. chemical romance. I thought it might have been him, but you know, whatever. Bit of a long bar to draw. I have deactivated my social media accounts and have been listening via Google Podcasts, so I can't give you the much deserved follows. Hey, that's okay. I understand. I sometimes I feel the need to get away from social media. Uh, it's it's a hellscape. Uh, he says I'm from Belfast, Ireland, and have listened weekly. I'm loving the conjure conspiracies at the moment. Some very interesting predicaments, to say the least. Love the jokes regarding Irish and Welsh accents. You're completely correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can Jesus, barely I understand some of the rural people. Yeah, I'd forgotten we made those too. <laughs> yeah. Glad you started covering a few chapters at a time. I hope this satisfies the first-time readers a lot more. Keep up the good work. And my response in Facebook messaging was thanks, which I was like, I feel like I should say more than that. But really, that says it all. I'm like, hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Belfast, I've been there. I tried to go to the Titanic Museum, but it was closed for a private event. How rude. Yeah. How dare they have a private event the one day that you're there? <laughs> I don't know. We were literally there one day, and I, that's what we wanted to do. And we walked across Belfast to get there, and then it was closed. Great town! <laughs> <laughs> Joe loves your town, Gerard, except for the... Uh, except, except yeah. for the, the the Titanic Museum being closed one day. One no, time. it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful city, really cool place. Would go again. Ten out of ten. Well, nine out of ten because <laughs> of the museum thing, but ten out of ten. Right. Close. Uh, so thanks nine, everybody. Nine. When I'm reading stuff, obviously the emails is the place that I remember the most to go to because I almost forgot Gerard's uh, Facebook thing. So if you want to get stuff read, that's probably the the safest place to send it is the sanderlanchergmail.com. But I do look at and manage all the other stuff. So you can put comments and things anywhere. It's it's okay. I'll see them. I, I just can't promise I will remember them later, apparently. So Also, if you feel like leaving us a rating on one of those places. Yes, that thing. Do, do, do that. We have several ratings on Apple Podcasts, uh, which is nice. I, mean, I think we're up to like six or seven. Okay, I just looked in the app and it still says we got none. Yeah. It, it it may be that like it's in Australia you get a separate like, uh, could be I guess podcast I think that's that... true I th I think that's actually true because I've heard other podcasts say if you want to rate us and you live outside of the country do it here instead so I don't know that that it shows up on ours if somebody does it from outside of the country we have six oh. five star ratings no anything less than five star we're awesome so thank anyway. you listeners thank you listeners and next for next week. Be listening or be reading chapters 23, 24, and 25. That is three more chapters for the next time. And once again, the, the middle chapter is really short. It's shorter even than this one. The middle one on this time. So anyway, mm. thanks for listening, everyone. Tune in next week for more adventures of the Sanderlanch. Wasing to the time of next. And we try, try, try to keep a little beauty in the world.
never let it fade